Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello guys, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about user-generated content and how you can use this content to increase SEO results. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Tori Gray. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, big pleasure, big pleasure, Tori. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, about your real background that you have, some beautiful pictures and uh, anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so again, I'm Tori Gray. I'm the CEO of Gray.Company. We specialize in uh, SEO strategy, technical, um, as well as content. And then we love scale and we love research and we love data. So we do audits and we also do a lot of research that helps underpin some of what we're going to be talking about today, actually. So, do, you know, understanding your user behavior and using that to determine if there is a big UGC opportunity for you in your SEO growth. Um, I've been doing this about 15 years now, um, it's crazy to say, and it's been a fun and wild ride. It's particularly exciting right now, right, with all the uh, language learning models and all the ChatGPTs and figuring out all the new Google SGE. It's, it's, a, it's a wild time period, even in a wild ride overall. So it's, it's good times. Yeah, nice, nice. I agree. Uh, today we have different SEO because of AI we need to consider. Yeah. If you don't, then competitors can consider, then it's hard to compete with them. Jeff Coyle, co-founder of Market News, in my podcast, he shared that in the future we will have three companies. The first company will develop AI. The second company will implement AI. And the third company will be obsolete. <laughs> so we need to consider to do it. I used AI before. Chat GPT right now, I can use a lot more because mm -hmm. the results are much better. And Tori, you mentioned about uh, strategy that you focus on creating the right strategy. Can you tell how to do it? Because I, I still see when the masters use SEMrush, IHRS, any other great tools to find high volume keywords and tell SEO specialist, I want to get it. I need traffic. But uh, I see two big issues, you know, the first that it's hard, it's hard to get results with these keywords because you need to compete with Wikipedia or big websites. For example, if I take SEO, I need to compete with Neil Patel, Moss, IHRFs, big companies. They deserve these ranking positions. They have strong brand recognition, a lot of backlinks, uh, great content. And in the second, it doesn't mean that I can sell by having this keyword in the top 10. So, okay, I can get SEO, but it's not related to something that I usually sell. Can you tell how to create the right strategy today? I mean, if you're, if you're starting with a tool, honestly, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you need to roll mm -hmm. up further backward in the process, like tools are necessary. Don't get me wrong. They can be really helpful in, in helping with the details of the implementation and, and kind of helping with prioritization based on what's uh, more popular. But where you really, really need to start is really understanding the business needs overall. Like what are your objectives? What are you attempting to accomplish? And you also need to understand the competitive atmosphere. So what is actually happening out there? Um, 
what are people looking for? So then you can start um, understanding, okay, once you have that idea from the business, going to the tools and understanding what is the potential and are people, you know, are they problem aware? Are they solution aware? Are they aware of your product? Depending on where you are in that cycle with your, your industry and your business, you might have a very, very different tactical approach to what you do and, and where you invest across all channels, not just SEO. So I like to really understand, to start by understanding the landscape and then understanding, you know, the keyword volume and, and like potential data certainly is part of that. But that's where the that's where the tools start to come in. And then you can use them further to help you know, identify the opportunities. So if you determine that your competitors are really just dropping the ball on this tactic and that's somewhere you're really going to excel, then that's something we'd emphasize, right? So every single SERP is different. It's all a race and it's a different levels of competitiveness. So understand where you need to be for where your set is and where you want to show up. And then you build the strategy based on what that return is and, and what that potential is for, for that work. So that's how we approach that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Valuable. Okay. You know, uh, it's interesting that many years ago, like 12 years ago, when I started my online journey, uh, I consider only high volume keywords. Of course, we changed the strategy uh, yeah. many times. And because of competition that, you know, when uh, we paid like five, uh, 10 cents per click today, we can pay like five, uh, ten dollars <laughs> for getting this click, you know, uh, and all companies are online. And uh, let me tell you about customers. You mentioned about competitors, about using tools, but uh, how to consider unique selling proposition because each case, as you mentioned, is different. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what I see usually when lazy uh, companies can tell, okay, my competitors, please uh, steal their traffic, <laughs> steal their uh, sales. But uh, competitors might sell different products, even the same products, but uh, different unique selling proposition. Can you tell how to learn unique selling proposition and consider in your strategy? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point because the point of competitive research is not to copy your competitors. Your point of competitive research is to understand what they're doing. So how, you know, sometimes uh -huh. it's how do you do it better? Sometimes it's how do you veer left entirely and do something entirely different that they're, you know, dropping the ball on. Um, so to your point around unique value proposition, like how are you positioning the brand as a whole and, and what do you want to emphasize and what are you great at and how do you align that with what you want to emphasize from an SEO perspective. So you might go after an entirely different keyword set based on what your competitors are doing, because maybe they're going after uh, an audience with a lower willingness to buy with a different price point. So that oftentimes means different keywords um, by, or different qualifiers, right, for the same keywords. So whether you're looking for a premium or, you know, if you include the cheap, it, you know, how, people are looking for very different things. So depending on your feature set and how that relates to what you offer as a brand and what makes you special and different, um, I think you can select the right tactics to align with that and mm -hmm. really emphasize what you're great at um, while understanding the landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, once I watched an uh, interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he told uh, his success depends on creating uh, the right vision Mm -hmm. uh, the right goals. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, business he had, like in sport, in uh, uh, yeah, in movies, anything. You know, in political issue, uh, he had clear vision 
where he is going to be. But mm-hmm. I see when companies uh, consider vanity metrics like volume, uh, likes, comments. <laughs> uh, but for me, I don't care how much traffic I have uh, if I can't sell this traffic. And I often see this issue. I remember one webmaster told me he lost 400,000 traffic because Google dropped his ranking positions, but mm-hmm. he didn't, didn't lose any sales. So he got a lot of traffic, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. this traffic didn't bring any sales. So can you tell... How to create the right vision that Arnold Schwarzenegger did, you know, uh, in his success? I mean, like, uh, how to find the right metrics? Uh, because vanity metrics can confuse more than help. They can. And I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, the leadership for your company, frankly, and, and mm-hmm. how well they understand their customer set um, and how willing they are to use their own internal data to help use to help drive the SEO vision. So I'm talking a little bit more about, um, you know, zero volume, quote unquote, kind of terms that are not actually zero volume terms, but might have really high buying potential. Um, So just because the tool says it doesn't have very much volume, doesn't mean it doesn't, A, and B, doesn't mean that it's not a really critical part of your customer funnel. Um, So going back to what you said earlier about, you know, going after the high volume terms or going after the low volume terms, there is no right solution for everyone. Like that is a tactic and a way to go about it. I think you should go after the keywords that frankly your competitors aren't um, or aren't doing as good of a job at. And that's where you need to start, which varies by from brand to brand. you know, it, it, it's tied back to the positioning. It, 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 it all ties together to help you accomplish what you want to do. But to your broader point here, if you have a vision for where you want to be, if you understand your customers, if you're talking to your sales teams, if you're talking to your customer service teams, if you're really listening to your customers, you can take those insights and use that to drive what you talk about. And sometimes that aligns with the SEO data, in, in which case, you know, go nuts. And sometimes it doesn't. And you have to you have to try things and you have to test things and you have to be willing to stay true to what you think is um, really, really important. But I'd say that the key there is, are you talking to your customers and are you losing or using their language? Because a key mistake there is thinking, you know, what they want and ignoring the SEO data and just doing whatever the heck you want to do. You know, you have to listen to a data source somewhere. And that starts with listening to and understanding your customer. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Tori, uh, can you tell how to learn your customers' customers? For example, you know, you have a customer and your customer has customers. So you need to learn them uh, to create the right strategy, to create the right content, marketing campaigns. So tell your methods how to learn specific business uh, to create the right strategy and lead this business in the right direction. Some of that comes down to like who do we talk to? So as, as an agency, we're supporting people and, and you know getting hired by these companies. And I think you can tell pretty early in the process how well they know their customers or not. How much do they listen? How much do they listen to us in the sales process? How much are they you know, articulating a unique point of view? So I think you can tell some of these things out the gate in, in many cases. Um, and sometimes it's research, sometimes it's understanding, sometimes it's talking to the sales and the customer service teams, again, the strategy teams, like who really, really um, understands that and just learning from them and taking the time to, to get that insight. Um, and frankly, just coming at it and approaching it with a sense of empathy. Um, because when I think about my customer's customer, my customer is a company and their customer is their boss. 
right? So what is, how do I help them look good to their boss is a, a big important step to I'm in a service industry, I'm here to support them. How do I make them look good by having good results by helping them feel empowered by helping them feel educated and setting them up for success. So taking that same perspective that I take for my own customers customers, and approaching that for my customers, their their external customers, the purchasing customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Okay, let's talk about content, especially today, we have AI. And uh, of course, uh, most content creators, I don't know most, I think everyone can mm -hmm. use AI because I cooperate with great writers who can post on uh, Forbes, Investopedia, many other great websites. All of them use AI, mm -hmm. uh, ChatGPT. And uh, I found a big issue when they overuse AI, mm -hmm. for example, to create generic prompts, to create generic content. Uh, AI can help a lot to create great content, but you need to use it right. And I remember when Elon Musk shared with how he asked a hard question on ChatGPT to, and he got uh, this answer, unique answer, by the way. Uh, and uh, I, I read a few times uh, Elon Musk question to understand what Elon wants to know from mm -hmm. ChatGPT. After that, he signed this letter to criticize AI. Then he changed his mind uh, in a few days to what uh, expensive equipment on Twitter to develop this technology. So yeah, okay, let's leave Elon Musk away. But uh, what was interesting, how he can ask this question, you know, with many details, very specific, uh, even he used his style, you know, uh, some uh, weird language. Uh, and he got answer on this uh, language as well. So can you tell how to use ChatGPT in the right way? I mean, like to, with the help to creating high quality content. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing to keep in mind is that it, it is changing almost every day. So things that are true now are not necessarily true in the mm -hmm. future. Um, so, you know, approaching it with an openness and seeing new tools and, and, you know, just because it didn't work yesterday or a month ago or six months ago doesn't mean it doesn't today. So just a, a kind of that growth mindset of how do you see all of these opportunities and how do you be open to what they're changing. But the big picture for today is, is leveraging it like a tool and understanding its limitations. So if we understand that you don't want to give it your confidential or secure data, because then that they own that. And then we have run into the Samsung problem that was uh, in the headlines, right? They gave away their source code that was problematic for them. Um, we need to understand that it has no concept of the truth. It is essentially a very, very smart autocomplete. And it is very, very good at that. And the more examples there are out there in the world about that, the better it's going to be at writing that content. So when we've used it to help with, I don't know, social posting or content creation or, or whatnot, like the more approachable the subject matter, um, and depending on what the brand is, sometimes that's much better aligned, like consumer facing brands where you just need to get the, the tone right, but the product is pretty known and approachable and like its benefits are tangible and, and known already. That is much easier to create content for versus the clients that have, you know, a, a depth of information that is not necessarily hasn't been covered by every copywriter 500 different ways till Sunday, right? Like mm -hmm. difference. So what's the depth of the content um, and how approachable is it? That's um, you can, in shorter form tends to be easier today. Um, can it interpret your data? So I, those are the main things that I keep in mind today and just know its limitations and, and respect those and build your process around that. And then 
going back to the, the first point, that canon will change over time. So let's let's see what happens um, and adapt to that when it inevitably changes. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Okay, let's talk about uh, user-generated content. I think all the masters want to have high-quality content. And Google, yeah, I think Google considers user-generated content as content, just content, doesn't matter. User-generated, uh, editors created this content. Google don't, doesn't care. So can you tell about uh, how to get high-quality user-generated content and how to check out that uh, the quality during the process? <laughs> Such a great question. Such a broad question. I actually would make a, a point tying it to AI before I proceed, which is, mm -hmm. you know, in a world of SGE, Google's search generative experience, and they're trying to bring the full force of all these very specific longer tail um, experiences that people are having in order to give them that what was the example one was searching for like a dress for a wedding in Miami um, in the promo video. So that is a very, very specific use case. So I think user generated content could be epic in helping really articulate what all those different use cases are because you can ask that of users, right? So if they bought this dress, what was the occasion? Um, what was, you know, the style? Where were they? If, if user users are willing to volunteer this information, if we can be smart about what we prompt them with, we can have all these different examples and suddenly their text on our page and suddenly we're more likely to show up for that. So to me, this is actually a key way to prepare yourself for the SGE future that is coming for us. Um, but in terms of like, how do you create good, collect good quality content. Um, a lot goes back to the data. So we would call that DCI, Digital Consumer Insights, and that can be understanding your keyword data as one data set. How often are people looking for this versus how often are they looking for that? It can also be understanding engagement and sentiment data on um, engaging platforms. So YouTubes and TikToks, which is information you can get from the web. So we can understand what are people interacting with? What do people like? What do people care about and what are they really passionate about versus they care about a little. Um, you can quantify all that data and you can help make your decision and you can identify opportunities to say, hey, people are looking for this. I think this is an underserved need. I understand my customer. They're frustrated with this. They can't find their solution. I'm going to help them do that. Um, so one of the more classic examples um, that's more approachable is what Canva did. Um, so they have their own templates that they've created, but they've also allowed users to create templates and share that. Okay. So think of the scale that that enables. So they don't have to come up with every single one. They can figure out the branding differences and just clarify that someone else made it. So it's not, you know, if it's not as good of a template, the people aren't going to hold it against um, them, um, Canva themselves. But they knew that people were looking for templates. So we know there's a ton of search volume. We know there's a ton of variety of that search volume. And we know that users are willing to submit it. So they have set up with their engineering team a, a custom way to submit what those templates are. And they're going to collect a variety of information. And they're going to be thinking about what do they want to require users to answer and what do they recommend that users answer. Um, and so that field, you know, giving users lots of chance to, chances, like lots of good prompts. If we want to think about prompt engineering and AI, how do we prompt users to give us the right information that is meaningful given the context of our product um, or service. Um, 
So we know people are looking for it. We know all these different variations. We know how we want to group it. So I would treat it, frankly, like e-commerce, facets and filters. People care about templates in this context. People care about filters in this context for these channels, for these sizes of ads, for these all these different variations. And that helps us architect what sort of solution and how do we want to organize all this user-generated content because we don't only want to rank for the specific pieces, but we want to rank for the ways we group these things together. Um, and so we get our data, we understand people are looking for this, we want to start collecting it. Um, and, and then we have a system and we are collecting it and we're publishing this data, um, making it easy for users to want to do that, giving them value in doing that and helping them feel good about doing that. You know, if you're Canva, like everyone's going to want to show up and say, I have templates on Canva. Like I'm big enough and important enough and good at, enough at what I do to have showed up here. So there's an inherent benefit to the user too. They're also going to want to share that on social media, right? So I got this template up on Canva or maybe a template on Airtable or whatever the, 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 the channel is. People are going to want to share that through their own website and through their own, um, uh, social media channels. So think about SEO benefit, not just in terms of the SEO traffic volume, but also in terms of the link building benefits of actually helping users be excited to share something. Um, and then the, the subsequent step that you asked about, about how do we ensure quality, letting users do it goes a long way. And then the second is really controlling with automation what gets indexed and what doesn't based on what people are willing to volunteer. So wait, you know, can we automatically flag, use the meta robots tag to say index or don't index based on, did you fill in this field? Did you fill in enough characters in this field? Did you fill in this many fields? Did you submit this information? Um, you can really control, you know, quote unquote, what are the, a search engines define as quality by some of these automated filters. And the last thing I'll say is sometimes quality is not necessarily in terms of text on the page. Sometimes quality is in terms of the backlinks. So when I, I like to build that automation, but I also really love to build an override on that automation because some people are not going to share much text, but they're going to go share the heck out of it and they're going to get a bunch of really, really cool links. So in that edge case, when that happens, I want to be able to say, no, 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 I want these links. I want to index this one. This one's important. This is an exception to the rule and I don't care if it only has 10 characters on the page. It's valuable and people are sharing it. So I want to share it too. So nice. it's a lot of that automation. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. By the way, you mentioned about uh, TikTok. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, I removed TikTok because this platform provides a good job, excellent job to learn my mind. Uh, I don't know why, but I usually uh, watched uh, TikTok in the restroom. You know, when I came back, I keep watching this video. You know, I watching this videos like for two hours uh, for a long time, and uh, I don't know why because I, I I don't have the same experience on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. I only on TikTok. TikTok knows what kind of content uh, I love. And TikTok recommends only this content that I can't uh, keep watching. I, mm -hmm. I keep watching this content. That's why I decided decided to remove content uh, TikTok. For some time, we'll see. I don't know when I get back because I have no time you know, to watch all these uh, great videos, you know, user-generated content. Because on other platforms, you need to promote this content in most cases. Mm -hmm. But on TikTok, I remember the story uh, from uh, Lloyd Richards. He published a book 11 years ago, uh, and he spent 14 years to write a single book. 14 years of writing single book. Then after publishing... Uh, he spent some 
budget with marketing, sales, but nothing could help this book. Then his daughter posted content on TikTok in account with zero followers. This video became viral. Mm. Plus 50 million people watch this video. And today this book is bestseller on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Now, just one single creative video. Uh, that was simple. No, uh, I mean, like, uh, you can't find nice looking design. But that was creative, true story. Uh, that author mm-hmm. spent like uh, uh, 14 years to write a single book. You know, uh, this video provokes curiosity. Now, I love creativity. And uh, this video provides a good job to provoke curiosity to read this book. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm interested about how to encourage users to create great, high-quality uh, user-generated content. Because, you know, social media doesn't need to do it. They have authority and uh, the quality. It's important to have quality mm-hmm. content because if you can't get engagement, uh, social media will not recommend your content. But uh, for small brands, small websites what to do how to encourage existing users to tell them okay if you create high quality content what kind of benefits we can share with them yeah yeah i I think a lot of it is just helping them understand what the benefit is clearly and giving them the opportunity to do it um it it, you'd be surprised how much people are willing to volunteer so here i'm going to use pinterest as an example i mean Mm -hmm. we didn't know people were willing to submit all this information and all this text about all of these images um, in order to be able to find it later, to bookmark it for themselves, right? So sometimes there's some inherent benefit to what your platform does and you can make that clear and then users just want to do it. Um, In the case of like the templates, I think users want to because it's gonna make them look good because they want it to show up high. Or if we're thinking of like Etsy, Etsy's user-generated content, you know, every e-commerce third-party platform is, what do they fill in on that profile when they're, because tr- they're trying to sell their product. So they want to do a great job. So you can give them the opportunity to do it. You know, they also offer education on how to do that, how to show up better in Etsy search engine, how to show up better in Google via your Etsy listing, um, helping people understand how to do that when they want to. Um, I think usually there's an economic benefit for them in that scenario that makes them worthy. They, they w- are willing to take the time to do that. Um, what else? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of say Yelp here. You can gamify the, the profile creation or the, is this filled out enough? Have you filled out enough of these things? So using the gamification techniques to, you know, prompt users to want to add more information. Uh, I think there's a bunch of different ways you can approach it, but those are some of the most common ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I open your LinkedIn profile even more. I open your uh, company profile on LinkedIn, uh, the great dot company. You know, and I love this quote, connecting the dots between goals, strategy, and execution for over 12 years. Let's talk more about that. I'm interested about uh, connecting strategy and execution because according to a few studies, uh, Companies usually implement 40% of all recommendations. So, for example, if they pay $10,000, 6,000 are wasted because they have no time, interest, or uh, they didn't know how to do it. Many things. So, can you tell, Tori, how you can help 
companies that way, for example, to create the right strategy and execute because, okay, uh, we have the strategy and uh, uh, it takes some time to create the right strategy, but uh, it's more about execution, you know, especially I see when uh, companies have uh, a big list uh, of keywords, I mean, like uh, a lot of topics, but uh, with limited resources, it's hard to create high quality content for all pages. So tell about how to create the right strategy mm -hmm. and uh, priorities in implementation execution. Yep. When it comes to connecting the dots and, and working with the teams, um, I'd say there's two ways we, we do that. So I think the classic way is to work with marketing to, and then mm -hmm. you're sort of depending on them to sell it in and them to implement it correctly or them to work with other teams to implement it correctly. Um, so what we want to do is help them by also talking to other teams. So the critical two other teams being, you know, the executive or strategic decision makers, and then the engineering teams, because most of the time here, we're talking about technical SEO, or we're talking about something that is a high lift for the company in terms of strategic content, and they need to step it up. And, and that, that takes work, and that takes time um, and prioritization. So, you know, with the strategic executive side, I think it's a lot about really articulating how these things are connected and really understanding, again, their goals. So we're talking about the business objectives, the business goals, before we even get to the KPI level, like, I want to understand what are you doing and why and how do I support that? And then, you know, you can align, these are the specific stat tactical items that align with the strategy of supporting this broader objective that you have. For the business. So really, you know, it's almost like putting a nice little bow on top. Like a lot of us know we want to do these things, but we're not at all explaining how that is going to help the executive team accomplish their goals. Um, so that's the first big piece. And then the second big piece is the engineering team and, and getting it implemented and speaking their language. So we have product management resources and Sam, my business partner has she used to be a developer and I used to be a product manager. And then we have other product managers on our team to really help sit with engineering, to go to their sprints, to really create the tickets, to, you know, do a lot of times it's kind of doing that legwork research that SEOs don't necessarily always want to do, or it feels uncomfortable to do because it's outside the realm of their experience um, to really mean that we're not lobbying it over the fence and saying, figure it out because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of mental load for engineering teams to figure that out. So can we break that down for them? Um, can we help them do that initial work to help them, you know, to help them get their job done? Um, so core vitals would be an example that's maybe a little dated now, given the changes in how Google's uh, referencing that. But I think it was really, really classic for people to say, oh, I got these page speed recommendations here. You figure it out. Um, but that's easier said than done on an engineering team. And, it, and, and it's not quite, okay, now I have to do research. Now, what format do I want my images in? And how do I do that? And how that's specific to my platform? Um, really going into those steps and helping them do that mental load and do that research mode so that they know it is possible. Because most of that problem is they don't want to have to figure it out, um, much less an actual technical barrier. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Okay, Tori, let's talk about data. Uh, let me share a short story about Jeff Bezos. Once he got a research team, and this team asked him to give more time to learn about a new product, about launching a new product. He denied. He told 
guys, we have enough data. Uh, this product was Alexa. Today, almost all homes in the US have this product. I don't know about Canada. You can tell me <laughs> if you know <laughs> this the statistics, but uh, almost all homes have this product uh, because Jeff uh, has this intuition. Uh, it's not like data. And I spoke with a few data experts and they told me that over data might hurt more than help because uh, companies don't know what to take, where to start, what to do. So can you tell about finding the balance between getting enough data and intuition? Uh, because sometimes uh, we have intuition according to our experience that can tell what to do and how to go. Yeah. It's funny because your gut isn't always wrong, but we don't always know what is informing our gut. This is kind of the problem there, um, depending on the person, right? Some of us have more emotional intelligence than others. That's just a natural thing that people have. You know, it's a scale, so everyone can get better at it, but not everyone's going to be the best in the world. So, like, do you hear people when they say what they're, um, when, when they were, use the words that they use to explain where they are, are you listening and are you understanding what they're saying rather than just their words? So I'd argue that Jeff Bezos is great at, you know, not just, underpinning it with actual data and, and understanding that because obviously we know Amazon's great at that a little too good again to the TikTok analogy uh, mm -hmm. but it's also does he know what informs his gut it, it's a lot of experience can he connect those dots can he um, put enough you know if he hears enough people complaining about this and, and comes up with this theory. He also has enough money that he can try a bunch of things and see what sticks, right? Um, sometimes you're just making a bet because something feels strong and important to you. And I think it's okay and we should make time for big strategic bets. You know, it, it should be a bit of an 80-20 solution. You, be, you should be making big bets and you should be making safe bets simultaneously. And that is how you're going to move forward because some of that will come together and not every big strategic bet is going to come through, but some of them will, and that will mean big gains forward and your incremental progress will happen at the same time. Um, but I, I would argue search data and that, you know, engagement data is a hugely, hugely under leveraged data source. So we're mm -hmm. actually using that to help people make better, more insightful decisions. So we're helping some e-commerce teams make product purchasing decisions based on yeah. interest, um, as well as, again, like what are the features of those? What are people frustrated with? We're helping other product teams prioritize what features go on the roadmap based on where their customers are frustrated with their own first-party data um, and their own customer service teams, as well as third-party data about what people are complaining about online for their customers, on Twitter, on search, on all these different data sources. So... I think we just under underestimate the value of all of these data sources and therefore we're not bringing it to say, hey, three times more people care about this or nobody's doing this over here. You know, treating it like it's data and understanding its limits, of course. But in many cases, I'd actually argue um, people aren't always trust, trustworthy. So if we think about the big research firms, the foresters of the world, you're doing these, you know, surveys, this data, you're doing these first party interviews, you're pulling these insights, but people can and will lie in those scenarios, if that makes sense, like, especially if it's sensitive material um, and they don't necessarily want to reveal that or they want to make themselves look more impressive to this third party that doesn't know them. So in ways that you don't lie to Google, 
because nobody's watching you. Um, and so we have this data that is in many ways more truthful. It's also more accessible. You know, if you know how to use it, um, it can be it can be really useful in helping connect those dots. Nice, nice. Well explained. I love it. I love how you can explain. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, I want to ask about another aspect that I can see on your LinkedIn profile. You know, uh, I love your uh, background, you know, simple, simple picture, you know, and I think simplicity is very important. Uh, if I open apple.com, I can see uh, only iPhone. And a few quotes like make difference, uh, nothing special, you, you know, very simple to consume. But I see when companies uh, overcomplicate, they create hard content. And that's why bounce rate is high today because uh, companies are trying to sell almost all their products from homepage, you know, to submit catalogs, products. Uh, it's better to simplify experience. That's why Apple uh, has only iPhone. If you scroll down, you can find MacBook, but in the first visible screen, only mm -hmm. iPhone. Because uh, this gadget is responsible for 40, uh, even 50% of all sales of Apple. So can you tell about simplicity, how it's important to simplify customer and user experience today? <laughs> yeah, it's such a critical point. And it's funny because it's it's probably not a natural strong suit for me. Uh, I see the world in gray. I see a lot of complications. You know, I also experience the same paralysis of too many options um, that anybody else as a consumer does, but that doesn't always mean I'm good at putting it out. But I'd argue you need to have great members of your team that help you do that because it is really critical to simplify um, and to, you know, sometimes it's also not just focusing on one thing. Sometimes it's focusing on the thing above that. And by that, I mean, you know, is it specifically the iPhone? Is it phones? Is it a specific model of the new latest one. Like it, it isn't always niche down and, and pick your thing. Sometimes it's be simple and broad and really, there's different ways to simplify it being my point here. Um, and it's a learning process. <laughs> and yeah. I can't really speak to it because again, it's not okay. my. Gotcha, my gotcha. Job. Okay, uh, Tori, uh, can you list mistakes that companies still do in SEO because, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, including SEO. I keep doing them because I don't know another way how to learn because I usually start on Google to find mm -hmm. specific strategy after execution implementation. I fail. For example, when I started to do PR, I failed all the time then, but I learned how to do it right. I learn how to hire right people who can help me with that, mm -hmm. how to uh, write press releases because today it's one part of our strategy. We got great links, including CNN. Yeah, we got uh, CNN mentioned uh, a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and you know, what was interesting about that, uh, I couldn't do myself, but I can uh, try. After trying, I understand how it works, then I can find right people who can help me with that. So yeah. can you list mistakes that companies still do in SEO and your tips how to find another way? <laughs> yep. Uh, the most common mistakes. So what I hear people do, um, they just start doing a bunch of stuff. You know, they might run an SEO audit and they're like, here's our list of things to fix. And I, I think that's not, not going to help. And, and, you know, unless there's something... Like if you're blocking your whole site on the robots.txt file, like maybe that's enough to be helpful, right? 
like it, there's cases when that can work uh, because you're accidentally finding and fixing the big thing that's wrong, uh, but you don't necessarily know that. So starting with strategy, I think for, for most people is really, really critical rather than just starting with stuff. Um, I see businesses that seem to think SEO is magic. And by that, I mean, they hire a consultant and they're willing to do this work. And then there's these, you know, here are recommendations for implementation. And then they don't want to do, they say no to everything. And then they're somehow surprised when we get around to, okay, well, the results aren't there because you said no to everything. Like you need to deploy things. You need to put out content. You need to fix things. You need to open up engineering resources. So really understanding that it is work. It is effort. It is iterative. Um, it is an investment. And it's not just, oh, I'm here. So I'm magically going to make things happen. Um, not updating old content, I think, is another classic yeah, mistake. Right. So I, I think there can still be a mentality, unfortunately, these days, because it used to work. You used to just put something up and it worked and then it worked for 10 years and it was bizarro, frankly, but that is not really the case anymore, especially if you're going to undergo a migration and suddenly Google's going to be paying a lot more attention to your site and saying, oh, wow, that's a lot crappier than I remember. I'm going to reevaluate you from the top rather than just, you know, considering you a little bit on a high level over here. Um, so, I mean, just the classic not preparing for a migration is another classic mistake. We are yeah. unfortunately dealing with that in a few cases yeah. after the fact. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Let's talk about magic. You know, you mentioned about magic and <laughs> what I found that uh, when uh, clients want to hire SEO specialists uh, who can uh, create this magic, you know. Uh, but uh, from my experience, if clients don't understand SEO, it's hard to get results because they don't know why we need to create high quality content, why we need to use white hat link building, PR, uh, uh, why we need to invest a lot in website speed, high quality content, anything. Uh, if I see they don't understand SEO, I usually tell them, take my course, learn from Lily Ray, Jeff Coyle, Mike Phillips. It costs like $20, but you can learn from great experts with practical tips. Uh, go to YouTube, go to Google, find other courses. Just learn, understand the basic. When you know the basic, yeah, we can go ahead. We can understand each other. Uh, Tori, let's imagine you graduated today from University of South Florida. It's your first day in ACO. You have no experience. You need to learn from scratch. What will you do today to learn more about ACO? <sighs> An interesting question, but hard because I wouldn't know everything I know now, right? I wouldn't know what the resources were. I wouldn't necessarily know who to trust because I think that's the important first step uh, because knowing who to go to to find those answers. Can Do you know Aleda? Do you know Learning SEO Roadmap? Um, do you know, you know, there's just a lot, there's a lot out there um, and SEO is a great field, but it's also a complicated field because not everyone is above board and some people are selling snake oil. And I still see advice on TikTok for people talking about invisible keywords, literally. I mean, when was the last time a keyword actually impacted anything um, in terms of like your keyword tag, your meta keyword tag, right? Some people are still recommending that. And some people are talking about like, oh, just put it in that white text. No, Google will see it. And, the, you know, <laughs> and if you follow that, 
then you're kind of screwed for a while and you're going to probably blow up some sites and have some embarrassing outcomes. So first, just knowing who you can go to trust, that they can go and take your course, that they're going to learn from the greats. Um, I would attempt to seek that out. So I'd probably go and talk to people that I can see in real life and trust and, and you know, try and pay attention to red flags and to do I want to trust the data from this person or not? Um, and then go seek out those sources. Because to your point, there are so many free and cheap, great, amazing resources out there to learn all the things. So I'd start with those people, which is a weird answer, maybe coming from SEO, but I don't, in today's world of Google, you can actually just Google that and have fantastic results, which is a problem for all of us, frankly. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. And Tori, I have a final question about the future. You know, today we have a lot of discussions about the future. Uh, but anyway, uh, take your crystal ball because my crystal ball doesn't work. I tried when I bought uh, crypto, when I bought uh, some uh, <laughs> uh, other assets, you know, yeah, uh, I found that it, it doesn't work. So I need to take your crystal ball and tell what kind of future will be in ACO uh, because we have AI probably. Metaverse, uh, Apple uh, is going to create this product, Hamlet, yeah. I don't know, or glasses, you know, yeah. virtual reality, probably this will change our world. So any prediction about the future and how we can adapt to the possible future? <sighs> Goodness, such a loaded question in today's world, right? Because we're in the midst of all of this happening right now. Um, some of the things I think I see are what I see already happening, frankly, is too many companies are going too all in, I'd argue, on AI. They are firing content teams just wholesale, which I think is a really short-sighted decision because I don't think the results are that good yet, frankly. Like, if you want to talk about slimming down a team, maybe, but it's not quite there yet to just be a person replacement or a team replacement, especially for senior team members. Um, so I predict that to get worse for a while and then you know, buyer's remorse will happen and there'll be a bit of a, a return. Um, Long-term, that is a much more complicated question because as the tools get better and better. Um, so uh, the not happy answer is I see that being a painful transition, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. I see it being harder, especially with the new SGE features for it to for your work in SEO to be as impactful as it once was, if the ROI is not there, if this, the generated results experience is pushing all the 10 blue links down the page, that I think is gonna be painful for a lot of people. But on the plus side, it's not very good yet. If you've been you know, watching the feedback, so as we're talking in the next year, what Google is providing, they're plagiarizing. If it's any good, it's plagiarized, right? And that's a problem for the future of people wanting to create that content. So I, that's going to be a painful transition, I think, for a lot of us as Google pushes to do things to be innovative, that they, you know, that might not actually serve the user because their stakeholders are pushing them to do it because they have to innovate because they can't be behind Bing. Um, mm -hmm. I think Bing might see some interesting, I don't know how big of a comeback it'll be, but they're the go-to search engine for ChatGPT. So that's bound to have you know, political effects that will mean more partnerships for them, more opportunities, maybe they'll get some better hires. Things can be tipping points. So I don't just magically see them being the default any day soon, um, but I, I see that growing. 
And then, oh my goodness, I haven't even processed the the Apple changes yet. That was a very interesting headset and seeing the eyes through it is kind of creepy, but very futuristic. Yeah. Um, it seems to be better than Facebook's. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I think it's better because Facebook created like uh, virtual reality. Apple is going to provide augmented reality. So I know. Yeah. It's, it's better. For, for me, it's... Yeah, it's better, much better. I don't know how to live in uh, virtual reality. Augmented, yeah, I understand, because it's the same. People always watch to iPhone or uh, any other gadget. We, mm -hmm. we, we do it like uh, half a day, you know, to watch any yeah. screenshot. So if you have this in your eyes, it's the same. Mm -hmm. Nothing different, you know. So, yeah. uh, But virtual reality it's like a new world you know you you ignore your real world i don't know yeah we'll see but i know exactly one thing right. uh, uh marketers in on tv and radio didn't lose their jobs they adapted to digital if you have experience uh with seo because seo is not ranking on google seo teaches how to create high quality content how to increase website speed, how to, I don't know, to earn authority, uh, to get links that bring traffic, not only for Google or create brand awareness. Yeah. SEO is much bigger than ranking on Google. And if you have experience with SEO, you can adapt to any other environment. So, yeah. and, you know, I found that many... Uh, great books were written uh, before digital like josh ugerman wrote a book about uh, retaining uh, readers until the end he wrote this book like 40 years ago but i can relate all his points to digital you know everything he told how to retain audience how to to hook their attention and uh, uh, it's not good idea to think how to satisfy algorithms we need to think how to satisfy human being then mm -hmm. algorithms will love it so yep. yeah I agree. That is why, yeah. And today SEO is strong. Yeah, it's strong. Will be SEO is that? Of course. Everything will uh, has then. Everything. But we still have a lot of time in SEO. <laughs> I don't know how long. Probably a few decades. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it doesn't matter. Learn yeah. how to uh, go ahead. Then you can adapt faster with new technologies. Nothing changes with that. Tori, yeah. it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. You're so kind to share all this valuable insights. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yeah, go to the Gray Dot Company or search Gray Dot Co. Uh, you can find us at Gray Dot Co. on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or on YouTube, where we have our web series. Okay, guys, you can find the links to LinkedIn account, to the website. By the way, I like uh, how website looks because... Uh, it, yeah, it looks simple. I love it. Simplicity is very important today. And, uh, you know, when you have a nice-looking design, sometimes you don't know where to click, <laughs> what to do. So I love it, love it. Tori, thanks again for your time, for all your valuable insights. Uh, guys, thanks a lot for listening, watching us. Uh, and find all links to Tori accounts, LinkedIn account, website in the description below. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.